Thank you very much for your kind wishes, for your generosity. For it's been a long goodbye. It's like seven months or eight months, but uh, <coughs> which is why? Because I, I just to to reassure or to be clear about, I'm leaving because I think it's time for a change of leadership here. And I'm leaving also because of the circumstances of my own life and marriage uh, falling apart. Those are the reasons. Period. Just want to make clear. Um, there's lots of muttering. There always is. There always will be, probably. Um, I just encourage you to never listen to muttering, but to actually go to source. We, we say God is good, and He is. It's us that's the issue. So we are the ones who have to, to work these things out. <coughs> and so I want to talk this morning, I'm going to, in a sense, try and highlight a, a bunch of themes that I think have been close to my heart and things that we have talked about in Jericho Road. So a lot of what I'm talking today will be familiar to you. And I hope um, <coughs> a refresher and a reaffirmation of some of the, uh, the themes, the things that I, I think bring life both to church and to us as people and I'm using this phrase from Joshua, this chapter from Joshua, which is a kind of commissioning chapter that you could use in any phase of life. Um, <coughs> there is a season when Moses died where they spent time grieving him, but at the beginning of this chapter, when the Lord says to Joshua of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. And there is a season, and I think this is the day, like um, John is dead. Jericho Road is dead for both of us. What, no, listen to me, don't resist this. It's, it's not as bad as it sounds. But there's a point where, okay, now let's move. There is a season for grieving, there's a season for wrestling, and then there comes a point where it's, okay, now let's move. And if we don't actually do that, we end up getting into depression and despair and all kinds of things. So for me personally, in these last few months particularly, but maybe much longer than that, as I've known I'm leaving, I've made an absolute covenant with God that I'm not going to write a sequel to Broken for Good. I'm not going into depression. I'm not going into despair because I have a tendency to go that way. <coughs> but I'm going to trust God with what my future is as you're going to trust God with what your future is. But that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean they're not challenges. It doesn't mean that you don't sometimes wonder what on earth is going on. And so this this chapter of Joshua is kind of, it's so beautiful in Christianity to, to sing the words and to speak the words, but to live it is the challenge. And everything is a process. And so Jesus says, uh, Moses, my, God says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. And it sounds so good. It sounded really good in Egypt. I'm going to set my people free. But the process of walking into freedom was the most terrifying and difficult and divisive thing they had ever been in to the degree that they actually longed to be back in captivity so that they actually could just know where their fish was coming from and it was free. That was in the scriptures. So, <coughs> I'm going to use the first sermon I ever gave at St. Albans and it was also about October. For some reason, Oct end of October is... I'm not singing a song, don't worry. I'm just using an illustration. Um... I picked up a guitar and I turned around to the organist and I won't mention his name and said, could you play the song on the piano? And he said, no. It's been there for 30 years. So I thought, well, come all the way from Cape Town. He's leaving. Well, he left before I ended the service and I never saw him again. Um, and everything I'm talking about this morning, I'm going to actually share with you is... Um, it's all contended. Everything's contended. What I'm going to do is take the, a guitar. And a guitar is in tune and it has strings and has six strings. And these six strings are connected here and here and they are tuned to one another. E-A-D-G-B-E. -E. And they're all interconnected and they're played by somebody who can play 
And God sometimes says to you and to me, can I play you? Can I play you? Somebody else said, yeah, I'm changed in the, lo- in, the cr- in the pocket of the Lord. Just spend me, Lord. I want to remind us, we're not one-string believers. When God says, can I play you? He's going to say, but it's not only you. It's all those around you. So, I've taken the names of the chords <coughs> to play some familiar themes about Jericho Road and about where we've come from. The first is E, and I'm giving it the Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus with us. Joshua is actually Jesus. They came from slavery into freedom. <coughs> and the basis of everything around our lives, around Jericho Road, is what Jesus has done. Thank you, Aaron. And I'm going to... You, you've seen this many times, but I, I love doing this one, so it's just kind of why not again. Because it always moves me, actually. Some of you won't know what this is about, which is good. <coughs> when God creates us, you know what's coming. When God created us, he created us to walk with him in the garden. There are always new twists though, which is interesting. There's a new twist to this. He creates us, he created Adam and Eve, and he created them to be perfect and in perfect unity with him, perfect union with him. But you know the story, they had a, a, a tree in the middle of the garden because there's always a tree in the middle of every garden. There's always a tree in the middle of every life. There's always a tree in every single thing that God actually does, calls us to, says. There's always a tree that he says don't because he gives us freedom. And so he says don't eat of the tree of the knowledge and good of, ev- of, of good and evil. And Satan always takes what God tells us not to do and says oh why don't you do it? He doesn't really mean it. He's trying to stop you from having your fun. He's trying to stop you from being all you could be. So he slithers down in the form of a snake because you know that Satan never actually reveals himself. Hey, here I'm Satan. I'm going to tempt you. Satan always reveals himself to us as people who we're not afraid of or who we like or happen to speak. Satan came and spoke through Peter to Jesus. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He didn't say, get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're speaking through Peter. So you and I know that we can be the conduits through which God's Spirit speaks. We can also be the conduits through which evil speaks. Even when we're Christian. Somebody left this church many years ago because they said you could, be, you could have demonic stuff going on in you even if you're Christian. Pretty much everything I say, somebody's left for and other people have come for. So deal with it. I'm going to say anything I like today. So you, so they, 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 I'm not going through this whole story because it will take too long, but they basically they, they, start, they ate of the fruit. And the thing they didn't understand when they ate of the fruit, that they were beginning to pollute something that they had no idea of the consequences. Because God's reason for saying no to them was not to spoil their fun. He said, you haven't ever felt conscience and you haven't ever felt separated from me and you have a clue what that's going to be like and you're not going to know what to do with it. And they didn't have a clue because they'd never heard of conscience at that point because God didn't tell them everything. And that's what usually happens. He doesn't do it by numbers. He doesn't explain everything to us. But before we know it, we've just gone down the tube somewhere and then we're like Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity. We end up in places. You see, they found out when they ate of the fruit and when we ever do anything that maybe is inconsistent with God, which is a lot, we don't know what to do once we've... What happened when they had uh, eaten of the apple? Let's call it an outing. It's an apple. It could be a pear. (coughs) There's probably churches, you know, first pair of first apple, we, we Bible-believing Christians, and we, we, we manage to argue about everything. Anyway, what happens? They suddenly find that they do not resemble, they don't resemble what they were created to be, and so they hide. 
And so human beings have always... How many of you feel perfect? How many of you are perfect? Anybody stand up and want to be perfect? Apart from Delphine? Who's perfectly delusional? Nobody has ever... Because uh, I've asked that a number of times around over the years. Nobody has ever stood up. We somehow know that we're not perfect. It's the inheritance of this. We live in a broken world. Broken people can't give birth to perfect people. And so God saw this and he's... Um, this is what we did. We, you know, you try and become religious and you try and be on your best behavior. Do you do um, you know, New Year's resolutions? That's the one incredible waste of time. I mean, it just is going to illustrate this. Like, how many of you ever kept a, a resolution? The only resolution I've ever kept is I'm not making any. But they, what you do is, you see, human beings, this is what religion does. This is actually what we do with everything God gives us. We try and do it on our own. We try and get clean. We try and get perfect. And we try and make amendments for things. And this is what happens. Um, it says in the Old Testament, I think it's Isaiah, you're, you're like filthy rags. We kind of become this. I mean, this is even a lot worse than it started off as. And the whole world is like this. And they're religious like this. They're going to the temple like this because they're returning for their sin. They're saying, sorry, Lord, we forgive you. Satan looks at this and says, you're nothing like God created you. So he, he talks to these with shame and accusation. And God so loves the world that he says, I want to redeem this but they have no way of finding me. So Jesus comes and he lives the life that Adam should have lived, where he is in unity with God. And he go, when he goes to the cross, he goes to the cross like this, and on the cross he becomes like this. And he takes our sin upon him. And then he dies, because death is the punishment for sin. And on the third day he rises like this. And he says to his disciples, now here I am. My cross is enough for you to become all that I have won for you. So they go, you know, we argue about baptism and we argue about communion and we argue about this. All of those are outward signs of a reality that God's already worked out. So you say, Jesus, I cannot clean myself up. I know that I'm unable to do so. And the lie has always been, if I get good enough, then God will accept me. And what the, the miracle of Jesus and the reason Jesus is so unique, it's not like multi-faith. He's the only one who came to earth, revealed the love of God as a father, and then went to a cross and said, when you get baptized into me, you will become like I created you to become, effortlessly effortlessly you will be changed from the inside out it's called grace anyone can come and anyone can be made clean as they come in to the baptism of Jesus through his blood shed on the cross now these what still remains what still remains is that you're still cloth. So you still have the potential for messing up. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a Christian knows where to be forgiven. That's why Paul and Silas and others said, don't boast about what I do. I am merely a cloth. I'm just human. But I have been dipped into Jesus, so he is the one who gets glory. We start competing because when Satan sees this, then he gets us arguing about who's cleaner. Or how you should be clean. Or which sin you have. Or who shouldn't... Whatever we tend to find a victory in, we tend to start judging others who don't find victory in that thing. And then we start becoming self-righteous. And God says, I have called you to reflect freedom. This is freedom. And ha what happens is when you actually start living for Jesus. This is the community. Your community will start to change. 
In fact, the impact you have will be that you can see the water changes. If you want to see the community change, get involved in the community. Be the salt, be the light, be the difference. And so I've used this so many times, I love using it just because it's a visual of grace. So none of us earn this. The only reason we can be here, the only reason we can say yes to Jesus is because Jesus said yes to us while we were still filthy. The only reason we get to be part of his family is because of what he did on the cross. So what is there to boast about? What do you deserve? What do I deserve? I don't deserve life. But Jesus also knows, how can I blame you for being sinful when you were born into sin and you are a sinner? There's a sense where we can't, it's not our fault. And so God is big enough to say, I know that as well. You're part of a bigger picture. So I'm coming in to redeem you. The part that you are responsible for is, will you receive all that I've given you? So, no one, no one here today should be sitting here feeling guilty about anything if you have said, Jesus, will you forgive me? It's, it's as simple as that. The problem is we get complicated. It seems too easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus so that it could be easy for us. It's called grace. But you cannot know grace without tasting disgrace. In other words, an awareness of your own brokenness. So, there's a, a large seg- fairly large segment of the Christian church that thinks that's the gospel. So, that all they're worried about is have you been dipped in the blood of the Lamb and do you look white? I mean, the reality is that, you know, once you've been dipped in the blood, as it were, you get more resistant to the things that initially really made an impact. So what happens when I'm dipping this stuff in what was made it dirty before? It's actually getting neutralized straight away. That's why God said, by your fruit you shall know them. Because the degree to which we express uh, this transparent, this, this whiteness, is the degree to which Jesus lives in us. In other words, they will know you by your love. So Jesus set us free out of Egypt and when the people came out of Egypt and when Joshua was dealing with them, they were meant to be free slaves, but they were learning about freedom. So he says in Joshua 1 verse 5, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if God will never leave us or forsake us, that means we can always be cleansed, we can always know his presence. So we don't have to say, Lord, bring your presence here. He said, I never left. You are my temple, you are my people. So if I've never left and you're not sensing me, maybe it's something about you that needs to be open to me. So I was asleep last night and or trying to go to sleep and uh, kept hearing this little mutter downstairs and I said, what is it? And then this thing kept saying, I want to come with you today. So he wants to come too. Now he's, this is the most long-lasting relationship I've had. And he wanted me to tell you his testimony. His name's Chips. Chips was, uh, I was in England in 1980 I think, or 1981, I'm not sure. And so he said, you know, I'm just a material man. I, I was created out of cloth and I was hanging, I was created some, I'm not sure where he was created. And um, he, was, he was hanging in a, a toy shop in Piccadilly Circus in London. And so he said, tell him what happened. And so he said, I was hanging there and I thought a kid was going to come and pick me up and I was going to be stuffed full of pajamas and I was going to be that, that was going to be my life. And then you walked in, I didn't really notice you, but then you, you walked in, you looked around, then you looked at me and I caught your eye and you looked at me and your eyes lit up and you said, I want that. So I bought him. Or he bought, you bought me, you said to me, right? And what happened was, 
I saw who he was right away. And so he said, you know what, you took me back to Oxford. I've been to Oxford. And then we went to Cape Town. And I remember the time when we stood in front of a thousand people one Good Friday. And I, you did this humiliating thing to me, which was I used to put sponges in him and clothes on him. And then during the service, I'd say, this is the only strip show in Christianity. And I would pull the sponges out of him. They were all of things that he had filled his life with, like brokenness, and, uh, addiction, or abuse, or whatever. And take his clothes off and say, he just comes to the cross like this, empty and naked. And as he comes to the cross, and as Jesus forgives him, then Jesus fills him with his life. And he becomes what he could never have been on his own, because he was created to be this. So Chips wants me to say to you, you know, I thought my life was with a child in Piccadilly Circus. You picked me up. You bought me for a price. You took me to Oxford. You had me speak with you in front of a thousand people in Cape Town and you could have heard a pin drop when you put your arm inside me and you brought me to life. And then we went to Canada. And they were a difficult bunch, but we've tried (laughs) to talk to them and illustrate to them that this is who we are created to be. We are created to be people with an extraordinary life in us that makes the very ordinary us different. And so when God actually called his people, he said, my biggest problem with you is that you still think like slaves. I will never leave you nor forsake you means this. Wrap your arms around me, let me wrap my arms around you, and let's take the land. I will never leave you or forsake you. So, this was making chips and me clean. This is leading us into life. And so God says to the people of, of, of Israel, who were becoming the people of Israel, he says, I, w- I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Joshua 1.9, he says this, he says, Do, uh, be strong and very c- courageous. He's strong and very courageous. He says it three times. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now into this, the first one was E for Emmanuel. God is with us. The second one is authenticity. A. One of my passions through my whole life has been how do you take the words of Jesus and make them real? And how do they become something that's not just in the Bible? Sanctification, glorification. How do they become real? And what at the end of the day, so what? What does it mean? I have irritated people with my insistence on trying to say, so what? Don't just speak spiritual language, so what? And so authenticity to me is the combination of we all are earthen vessels, we are cloth. The cloth doesn't change just because it's dipped in the blood of Jesus, it's still cloth on this earth. And we remain human. And God says to his people, he set them free from slavery, he says be strong and courageous. What does authenticity mean? It says it's not, oh we're going to present the promised land, hallelujah Jesus. He says you're going to be terrified. You're going to doubt every word I've ever said to you. You're going to want to run. And I'm telling you at those times, be strong and courageous. I don't have a problem with your authenticity. I don't have a problem with you being a sinner. I don't have a problem with you being weak. I don't have a problem with you messing up. I do have a problem when you're not willing to have it. When you're not willing to walk in that authenticity. I'll tell you a secret. My greatest struggle in the church with authenticity has been the leadership resists it. Leadership does not like authenticity too much. But the people who never have heard of Jesus, they love it. The people who have never heard of Jesus are so encouraged when they hear they don't have to be perfect to come. When they hear there's hope for them in the midst of all the crap that's their life. And one of the hallmarks of this church, and a lot of you know it, is that you're 
you haven't been shocked. We haven't been shocked. We haven't been uh, judgmental because we are all sinners. We have all gone astray. We all have stories to tell. And so we need things that encourages us in the scriptures is hearing about how these different guys, these men and women of God, actually also struggled. And then we go, oh, I can identify with that. And I don't understand how you can counsel and how you can lead if we're not willing to share our lives. I don't understand it. I don't understand how I can expect you to be open and transparent if I'm not going to be open and transparent. And as a leader, I'll go first. I will be transparent with you whether you like it or not. Because actually I don't feel judged and I don't feel condemned. I'm free. I'm a work in progress, but I'm free. I don't care if you... Some people think I shouldn't be standing here now because of my marriage thing. And part of me agrees with them. But there's another part of me that doesn't because grace goes, covers everything. But we are very, very good at selecting the things that cause us to be qualified and the things that cause us to be disqualified. And the things that we disqualify other people for is usually the things that we have victory in. But when you ask people to be transparent and authentic in areas they're not victorious in, you get resistance. And that causes us division. And that's what we've experienced. I have no time for airbrushed Christianity or airbrushed churches. I just think they're almost demonic because they're dishonest. Graham Cook, because you maybe believe him, because God is saying, because if you're in touch with your brokenness, if you're in touch with the areas of weakness, if you're self-aware in those areas, you're going to actually find victory. But Graham Cook wrote this, I can never understand how the church can walk away from people when God is dealing with their sin learned behavior, and wrong thought processes. We need people the most when we are being adjusted. I thank God that I have people around me who love me enough to stand with me when God is dealing with issues in my life. I think that is so cool. I think that's what the church should be. I think it should be a place of unconditional support for us as we're working out our stuff. And it's messy. I'll come back to that in a minute. So authenticity, just ask the question for yourself. Are you somebody who's authentic? Do you let people know you or are you not so knowable? Or do you select which parts they're going to know? By the way, most of us can see through each other way more than we're comfortable with. So usually other people are going, I'm wondering whether you're going to catch up with yourself because we saw this a long time ago. We are funny. You see, there's six strings on this. The D is what Chips absolutely transformed his life. It's called power. Jesus said to the disciples before, uh, after they had you know, totally messed up and then he was resurrected and they didn't know what to do, and he said, wait in Jerusalem until you've been filled with power. That's the Holy Spirit. Some of us think the Holy Spirit is a sort of Bible story and it's a Bible verse but for Chips, it was a power of somebody's life in him that made his life come alive. And he fulfilled the purpose for which he was created, which was to be something way more than he would ever have dreamed. A little puppet in London has been around the world. It's talking to you now. And with the very little he has, God is doing extraordinary things. We need the power of God inside us. We need the power of God's spirit in us all the time. Because, you see, what happens is uh, Chips has known me for now 35 years and if I take my arm out of him or he decides he wants to move off, he becomes powerless. It doesn't matter how long it's been. He cannot be powerful without an arm inside him. And neither can you or I. One of the, one of the ways we know where God's Spirit is, is not in us is by the whatever is, is, is uh, deprived in us. In other words, you can be naturally Christian, but you just won't be powerful. But if you're naturally Christian, you'll be pretty miserable. You'll be, you'll be legalistic. You'll be critical. You probably won't be a servant. You'll probably look at what's wrong with everybody else, but you won't look at yourself. You can't have the Holy Spirit in you and not have the character of the Spirit actually touching you. 
And I need the Holy Spirit to help me. God knows that. You know that. And that never changes. I can't, I can't live off my past experience and be separate. It's got to be relational and it's got to be incarnational and it's got to be active. So the power, I'm not going to spend a long time, but the power of God, because he said when he let, set these people free from Egypt, he said, let's live from victory, let's live from a place of you are a freed, you are a, you're not a slave, you are no longer a slave. So everyone who comes to Jesus is no longer a slave. You are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Now you start saying, oh, well, 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 we do all this foolishness. You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings. Now act like one. And Satan whispers to some of us, act like one, and we strut around. But to act like one means be a servant. The world is incredibly hungry to see servants of Jesus. What do they look like? What do they taste like? What can I do for you? Who are you? Where does it hurt? You can tell me anything. There won't, won't be any judgment. We don't argue theology. I mean, when you go to the doctor, do you argue about medicine or do you just say, please help me? The less of God's Spirit in, is, that is in you, the more you argue about stuff you don't need to argue about. Be salt, be light. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the power of God be in you. And if it's not, get it back. Jesus, here I am. You just go through the cycle. If you jump into the blood of Jesus, say, forgive me where I've messed up. Ask you to fill me again with your Spirit. And as I've often joked, it's like you have a shower every day. Just get in the shower. Scrub up. The reason you have showers is because you get dirty. So just have lots of showers. But don't become obsessed about, I'm scared of getting dirty because then God won't love me. He says, you will get dirty if you love me. All my disciples got dirty, but they knew how to be forgiven. You see, their testimony is about how good I am, not how wonderful they are. Satan gets us to go, oh no, it's a reflection of you, so you are the one who does the healing. That's why I tease people when I say, well, pray for them for healing. Oh, I don't do that. And I go, I, I didn't think you did. We just wanted a scrawny hand. But we, are, we have to help one another to believe what is so impossible to believe. That God, if God can use a rag doll, he can use you. If he can use a handkerchief to heal people as he did through Paul's ministry, he can use you and me. He doesn't set the bar very high. You qualify. Isn't that cool? So what happens? The resistance in you that happens is the battle. It's false pride, it's fear, it's unbelief. And you are never, ever, 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 ever going to conquer those fears by asking God to take them away. I promise you. You are going to see those fears conquered as you step into them. So I pray for healing. God, I don't even believe this. And he goes, I'm hearing. And that's what it means to take this land, take every step, get out there and do it. So I've got to hurry up. The uh, EADG is the goodness of God. It's actually grace. What did I want to say here? I don't, think I, could, I, I don't think I could find the C, but I want to say the goodness of God is expressed in community. I'm passionate about community. I've got into trouble about community. Always get into trouble about community. Always get into trouble about saying you should be a church. I'm sure the trail notes offended some people because I said there's some people who are spiritual quilters. They actually stitch together the verses that suit them and then they cover themselves with that. And when you hold, take the whole Bible and you read the whole Bible, you don't get that. You get, we are called to belong together. Jesus calls his disciples one by one and he says, come, follow me. Oh, goody, 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 goody. Two miles down the road. You mean with him? I don't like him. We're from the same town. I've never liked him. And Jesus said, 
your, your point? So I meant to tell him to go away so you can follow me? No, can we just have different groups? There's only one group. And I've got to be there with him? No, you don't need to follow me, then you won't be with him. Because I don't have favorites. What's your issue with him? Maybe if we actually explore your issue with him, we'll find something in you that needs to be changed so that then we can follow together as a family. You mean when you call me to follow me, you want me to change? Yeah. How am I going to know what to change? Just like that. You're going to bump into things that irritate you. And it's going to actually be me giving you the opportunity to deal with something in you while you're telling me to fix them. Have you worked that out yet? How many churches do you want to go and belong to? How many situations do we want to escape from? We are still there. And if you look long enough, you'll see patterns. Authenticity is a bit about beginning to say, you know what, I'm noticing this. And then transformation begins in a deeper way. He calls us into community. This is another quote. I really liked it. it and I'll tell you why I said this. is in Joshua 1 verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. You and all these people get ready to build Jericho Road. You and all these people take Port Alberni. Do a quick check up on yourself. Is it just you? Me and my family. He doesn't say that. He says you and all these people. I'm God's servant. I love him. I'll do whatever. And he says, you and all these people go. And you go, but I don't like half these people. I don't have time for half these people. I'm just going to look after me. Well, that's not Jesus. God is, does not, you are too boring to have a relationship with him on his own. He just says, you're not enough for me, man. I like you. I love you. I adore you. My son said, but you're not enough for us. We bring you into a family. So I beg you, Start asking him, how do I fit into this you and all if you're not? Because actually Ainsley was saying that. He was just saying, I'm, I'm learning that I'm so selfish and I'm learning how it's like to see other people. That's the hallmark of Jesus' spirit beginning to work. You liking this? This is what he says. Uh, this is uh, a guy called Dan Farrelly from, from Bethel Church. And this just came in the email yesterday. He said, We believe that the global church, which consists of those who have put their faith uh, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, is, going, is doing the greatest work on, all the, on the planet. Bethel Church, or we could say Jericho Road, is a small but joyful part of what a very big God is doing. The implication of this great work is that we are constantly being stretched, learning and growing as we stay connected to him and to one another. It's wonderful and exhausting. It can be so much easier to believe that we have it all figured out and that our task is to sort the world into who's right and who's wrong because then we can marginalize people without having to love them. This seems to be currently happening in our world as many embrace disrespect and disconnection. This is not our way. Jesus blesses the peacemakers and calls them sons and daughters of God. Making peace is hard, messy work. It requires that we get between sparring factions, not becoming one ourselves, and craft a way forward that neither side can yet see. As we embrace love and truth under his leadership, we will experience God's joy and justice on the earth. We're going to be great at this. Christianity is messy. Churches are messy. Life is messy. And we get to be in the midst of it. GB, so... so G, the B, the B, the last, second last string is what? It's going to be Bible. Of course, it's going to be Bible. Because you have to have a standard beyond yourself to which align yourself. So read the Bible. Listen to the Bible on audio. Watch it on video. Get a children's book and read it. There is no excuse for anyone in this room not to read the Bible. 
because there's so many presentations available these days that, you know, we, we have designed this so it will be easy for you. Read the Bible, read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Read the Acts of the Apostles. Start there. Read it. Because when you read it and you begin to read about Jesus, you begin to get a sense of what his character is like. And so one of the things to always be looking for is what's Jesus doing in this time? What's Jesus saying here? If I was walking alongside Jesus with this attitude that I have, what would he be saying to me? And finally, the E on that guitar string is evangelism or it could be an expedition because it's a process into. He says, every step you take, I will be with you. Go out, do something. It's not just about believing, it's about doing. So, we could say lots of things, but in the end of the day, it's about doing something with what you have. God is not interested in having you as a fan. He wants you as a disciple. He's not interested in having us as people who agree with him and believe in him. He says, I want to actually flow through you. You are Emmanuel. You are God made flesh in the world right now. They don't read the Bible, they read you. And where authenticity is powerful is when somebody has the freedom to say to us, you say you're a Christian, but why? And we don't go ballistic. We go, good question. I'm struggling with that myself. A Christian isn't someone who's perfect. A Christian is somebody who knows they need help. So I'm just, I'm struggling with this part. What are you struggling with? And they go, you mean you can follow Jesus and not be perfect? Absolutely, look at me. My greatest testimony to you is God can use this dysfunctional people sometimes. What happens? So, G, I mean E, what is that, the first one? Emmanuel, God with us. You've got to be God with us in the world. What is it? A authenticity. Just be real. Relax, be real, be yourself, be a work in progress. doesn't mean give a license, it just means be real. Whatever that means. D. Power. Dunamos. Power. Holy Spirit. You can tell the person next to you right now, it's good news for you, you can't do this. But there's one who can. And I know you long enough, I know you can't do this. But he can in you. If you let him, humble yourself, open yourself. Not just in your head, but in your heart, in your whole being. Let him. G. Sort of grace, but leading to community. How is it expressed? How does lift you and all go in? Community is a real pain. I'll be quite honest with you. Leaving this church and saying, going over to the other side, and people say, "Where are you going to go to church?" And I go, "I don't want to go to church. I will go, and I know where I'm going to try it." But there's a lot of me that identifies with. I'm done. My biggest problems and pains in the world, I've told you this many times, has come from Christians. It's not non-Christians. Non-Christians are easy. Have a beer, say whatever you like, nobody cares. I did that in Parksville for seven years. It was like a church. It was actually quite healing. I'm not saying it was very good, but I'm only just saying it was not bad. And as I wrote, wrote in trail notes, there are more people who are, not, who are Christians not in churches which I don't think is... you. How do we become a place where people can be? Well, be authentic, be real, be welcoming, relax, stop judging, just be friendship, be offer friendship and see what... You see, it's the love of Jesus that brings people to repentance. Not your great wisdom about how I should change my life. That's why our... our uh, Statement on the, in the hall says being, becoming family, encountering God, impacting the world. And the last one is, is, uh, is well, it's Bible, and then it's um, expedition. I would put in experience there, all kinds of things, encounter, but it's moving. So let me wrap it up. I was going to get some pliers and cut some of these strings and say, you know, all of these 
aspects of what it is to be a tuned guitar. The, the strings stretch, they break, they need to be replaced. This thing needs to be constantly tuned in order to be played. So these various aspects of what it means to be a church and what it means to be Christian need to be attended to. Sometimes they break. And the saddest thing is to watch somebody playing a two-string guitar as if it was a six-string with all the other strings broken saying, I'm just a Bible believer. And that's a one-string noise. Because all of these, you see, you tune a guitar in referencing other strings. We need each other. We need these different aspects to make the it whole. So you need the Bible to inform you. You need Jesus to save you. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you. You need the community to be real. In. You, we need it all. So therefore, pay attention to the whole gospel, not just the part that you happen to like. And you happen to like this part and somebody else happens to love that part. That's cool. But don't think you can do without the parts you don't like, which is what Paul really said when he said, you know, if he was here today, he would use this as, but he didn't have a guitar, so he said, the body is made up of many parts. Let's stand. And let's just ask God, Lord, what are you saying to me today about the strings of my life, the strings of faith? What are you saying about... Uh, how I've stepped into Jesus having died on a cross for me. So if there's anything that you're feeling guilty about, anything that you're feeling you don't measure up, then just dip yourself in the blood of Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you saw this before I did. Thank you that you do not condemn me. God never, ever condemns. Thank you that you've gone to the cross so that I can be set free. So I want to step into that right now and I ask you to forgive me. And one of the wonderful things you can do with Jesus and God is that you can say, God, I don't, even want to, I, I don't even want to repent of this. I like it. But I know it's wrong. And he says, well, at least we can start there. So ask me to help you to begin to want to change. That is so wonderful about God the Father is that we start where we are. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for hearts of repentance, hearts that are open, hearts that are not afraid of you. And we just give you permission. We want to see the fullness of the cross worked out in our lives. We do not want to be a people who live under condemnation. We want to be a people who walk in freedom. And we start with Jesus on the cross. Died, buried, rose again. And Lord, we ask you to be <coughs> to work in us authenticity. Talk to Jesus about authenticity. Are you open with people? Are you transparent with people? You have permission to be totally real. If they can't handle it, that's their issue. But just relax. Be yourself where you are and watch what God does as you just move. You don't need to compare yourself with someone else. They don't have your story. They don't have your history. Things that are hard for you were easy for them because they didn't have the same triggers. Things that you excel in, they struggle, but maybe they don't tell anybody. We're all the same. Father, I pray for a spirit of authenticity in this place just to continue to be poured out, that people will find hope in the midst of brokenness. Maybe you're struggling with something today and you just say, I, I keep trying and you need to know the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Don't give up. Give in. So if you need the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about change in your life, just open yourself to Him and say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you here. Please fill me afresh. And Father, I pray that for my brothers and sisters. May the Holy Spirit be poured out over each person in this place right now. Fill them up. Just like my arm goes into chips and he becomes alive, your arm goes into us and you say, I fill you with myself. I fill you. There's no magic, it's just a promise. God just responds to humility. Humility is expressed by saying, Lord, please help me. If you have problems reading the Bible, Father, I pray that you would create a hunger for the Word of God.
I pray, Father, that if we find it difficult to read the Bible, we would find a way to begin to know your word that would come to life. I pray that there would be a revelation through the scriptures into our lives that would bring us to life. Father, we thank you for community. If you are somebody who struggles with community, ask God to talk to you about that. Some of us haven't had great great um, family experiences. We're not good with people in family environments. Sometimes we're just selfish. We are, we're about our own stuff. Just talk to him about that. Where he says, I placed you in community. I've called you to, on a journey that involves everyone, not just you. And if you need to say, Lord, forgive me that I'm just basically selfie-centered, I ask you to forgive me. And I, I don't know how to get out of this, but I ask that you open up my parameters that I might actually be more aware of others and actually enjoy the journey with them. They can learn from me and I can learn from them. So Lord, we pray that this is the safe place for imperfect people to grow in the things of Jesus. And then we pray, Father, for the journey we're on and we ask that your Holy Spirit will just bless this place as we journey forward. And I pray, Lord, for Michael and Carol as they prepare to come here. We just pray for all the practicalities of, of uh, their journey and their immigration stuff. And I pray for the spirit of this place of the next month that you will guard it. You will protect the leadership here. I pray blessing on the leadership, the transition team, the elders. Pray, Father, that there would be a unity like it's never seen before. That out of the things we've been through in the past, we will learn deep lessons. We will be more humble, we will be more open, we will be more transparent, we will be more ready to walk alongside one another into all that you have for us. So, Father, I just speak in the name of Jesus, blessing over Michael and Carol as they come, blessing over this church as we move forward to take the land that you have for us. And we gather around this table because without Jesus and without his sustenance, we cannot do anything. What are you hoping for as you travel into the promised land, deeper into the promised land? Tell Jesus what you would like to see and then tell him how you would like to contribute. And then embrace the journey because the frustrating thing about God is he always works like this. He never tells us too much. He just says, get ready to go. So Father, we ask faith to rise up. And as we eat this bread and drink this wine, we pray that we will know your presence among us, your promises over us, and your sufficiency and faithfulness for us. So 